This is the Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, or GOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. Thank you for joining us. Volunteer help is one of the key elements needed for a successful emergency management plan. We often talk about it on this show, you are the help until help arrives. The more prepared you are, the more you may likely be available to help others. That's why we are excited to talk about one organization that's working to pull many of those volunteer resources together to utilize all the benefits they can offer the public. The Provisions Project was founded after the massive 2016 floods in Louisiana. Some of the greatest needs for the public are often during the rebuilding phase once the response is complete. The Provisions Project focuses on the long-term recovery of communities to assist in acquired resource management and rebuilding. As a non-government organization, the Provisions Project is working to help the faith-based community and civic groups take on responsibilities to fill a role in helping their communities to recover. The training program is designed to give the faith-based community the knowledge and skills to have a plan in place to help in a time of need. Coming up in a few moments, we will speak with Annette Marie Gurman, Executive Director of the Provisions Project, Inc. Also, we are winding down from the 2018 hurricane season, but the threat of severe weather does not stop in this region. We will speak to the National Weather Service about the fall severe weather threat and what type of scenarios we could see this time of year. Before we get started with our interviews, we like to start each episode with an emergency preparedness tip. We recently wrapped up Cybersecurity Month in Louisiana, and on our last episode, we talked about personal tips to protect you and your family. But small businesses are also a favorite target of cyber criminals for various reasons. Forbes offers this protection advice for small business owners. Train your employees on the fundamentals of cybersecurity. That means your employees are the first line of defense. Limit access to critical information like software and hardware. This means fewer employees who can access important data and reduces the chance that information can fall into the wrong hands. Invest in good software. Talk to experts about the protection you need for products like antivirus and anti-malware software and create a strong cybersecurity policy that will make sure your staff understands the rules regarding security issues. Less than half of small businesses currently follow this particular step. That brings us to our first interview. Annette Marie German is a Valparaiso University graduate with a Harvard Humanities Disaster Response Certification, and she's NIMS trained. Besides currently serving as the Executive Director for the Provisions Project, Inc., she is also the Chair for South Central Louisiana Recovery and a trained VISTA, Volunteers in Service to America, Supervisor. Annette, thank you for joining us by phone today. Thank you for having me. If we could start out uh, talking about the Provisions Project, give us a little background on your organization. Sure. Uh, The Provisions Project was actually born out of the 2016 floods in Louisiana. And we, we actually saw a, a great need for more Louisiana-based organizations to take root uh, and provide relief within their communities. 
And we initially decided that we wanted to focus on disaster response, not only in the state of Louisiana, but nationally. And one of the things that we realized very early on was that there was a a true need for us to form a long-term recovery group to assist locally in in Louisiana with those recovery efforts. Two years after the flood uh, today, we are still uh, working with our cases and getting those resolved and getting those folks back to safe, habitable living. So we are a little bit multifaceted in the fact that we do long-term recovery, but we are also involved in uh, disaster relief with the faith community. You know, kind of uh, taking a look back at the, at the events since our 2016 floods in Louisiana, there's been a number of events. You've had uh, hurricanes in the uh, Carolinas that caused a housing crisis, the Texas area with Houston and the housing crisis. Do you think there will be a need for these type projects moving forward? Do you think there will be an increased needs in, in certain areas? Absolutely. And what I have truly enjoyed about what we've done, done with long-term recovery is the relationships that grow from that. And uh, I, I truly do believe that long-term recovery is uh, for the most part, done and recruited by the non-government organizations who are on the ground, who stay on the ground, who are local, and fulfill those needs of of those survivors ongoing. And as you know, long-term recovery efforts, uh, it, it's not just six months or a year. A, a lot of what you see can take up to five, ten years based on that time frame. So it is really important and very critical for those organizations as well as government to play a key role in helping those communities get back to normalcy, another sense of normalcy in many ways. Kind of looking back at the uh, 2016 floods, what were some of the biggest challenges to overcome or what are some of the issues you're still working through? I think the biggest issue that we see is that these disasters are becoming more frequent and they're in the news for a period of time and then they're gone. And I think the biggest issue that we see in long-term recovery is the need for resources, the need for funding and the need for volunteers wanes at a certain point because it's no longer in the news. It's not a top priority or there's another disaster that happens after that which pulls resources and volunteers away from that former disaster to another one. And so I think that is probably the biggest challenge for long-term recovery effort, uh, just because of the fact that it becomes a blimp on a screen that Mm -hmm. goes away after time. No doubt. Uh, Mm -hmm. So as far as your organization and the goals, is it is it difficult to kind of reach some of those growth goals while you're dealing with so many events around the country right now? Yes, I think so. And I think that uh, the focus really needs to be more on preparedness and resiliency. I truly feel that uh, the faith community can play a, a very large role in that. And so uh, as we engage in long-term recovery, that's just one aspect of it, but creating that long-term resiliency within communities so that they're prepared to 
sort of handle their own disasters when the time comes. I believe that that is, and so that they can own their own disasters when those things happen, I think is going to be very, very critical moving forward. And that's one of the reasons why we have developed the Empower, Equip, Enact project that will work closely with the faith community to prepare them for disasters, which will, again, work into spreading resiliency throughout those communities because it'll pull in their community to uh, volunteer and play a, a role in, in that recovery. You know, we've seen so many of our churches and other faith-based groups step up. It, it's definitely important. That leads directly into the next thing uh, I was hoping to talk to you about. If there's an individual out there, or maybe they are a member of a church group and they want to get their church more involved, what steps should they take and how could they connect with you guys? Well, they can certainly go to our website, which uh, has a, a lot of information in regards to what the project entails, as well as resources for churches. Uh, we are providing a, a training manual as well, but our website is theprovisionsproject.org. So provisions with an S, theprovisionsproject.org. Uh, they can certainly connect to us through our website and receive information there and contact us uh, through our website. I think it's going to be really critical to bring the faith community to the table in a way that we've never really seen happen before because they tr they are grassroots. They know their communities. They know their vulnerable populations. And I think that they can offer uh, resources and volunteers uh, in a capacity that, that they're needed. When you're dealing with these type groups, uh, do they need a certain amount of people? Are you able to work with small groups and larger groups, for example? Or, or what are, should be some of the goals once uh, these groups try to, try to organize? Oh, I, you know, I think that small groups, large groups, uh, small congregations and large, they all can play a role. And so much of it is, um, like I mentioned, we, we've developed uh, a training manual to give congregations the, the tools to form an internal structure of communication and command, and for them to figure out what role they want to play. Uh, do they have a, uh, do they have a soup kitchen? Can they provide hot meals during a time of, of need? You know, do they have a, a large facility that they can warehouse resources and provide distribution? Do they have a good outreach program with volunteers that go into their community and serve that can go out and muck and gut homes? So each congregation, whether small or large, can play a very significant role in, in their communities in whatever capacity they feel they can serve at, without taxing the pastor or the lead pastor without taxing their congregation, they can spread out and diversify uh, those responsibilities and really connect with their community to help those in need. So volunteers is where it's all at. I mean, no doubt about it. Yes. I mean, you see it all around the country, you know, government, state government, the federal government, uh, only, you know, so many things can get done. And so we definitely need volunteers to think about this. So again, the website is provisionsproject.org. If you're interested in finding out more about this wonderful program, or if you uh, have a church group, uh, anything with your your community, any type of group you want to get involved in this, we recommend you go to that site and uh, find out more. Annette, anything else you'd like to add as we wrap up? 
Yes, as we begin this project, we are forming a coalition of faith leaders, not only in the state of Louisiana, but also nationwide. Uh, those folks will play an instrumental role in us making headway into the faith community. And in order for us to get our, our team out there to train these churches, uh, funding is required. So we are in the process of accepting funding for this particular project, and folks can certainly find out that information uh, through our website. All right. Again, that's provisionsproject.org. Annette, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Now we will move to the emergency resource segment for this episode. The National Levy Database, or NLD, is a congressionally authorized database that documents levies in the United States. The NLD is maintained and published by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. It recently underwent a refresh, making more tools available to data managers and to keep information updated and provides an improved dashboard that makes finding and understanding levy information easier than ever. NLD information includes the location and general condition of approximately 2,000 levy systems affiliated with the Army Corps of Engineers programs, an additional 6,000 levy systems totaling approximately 15,000 miles have information on location, but little to no information about condition and risk. That's because those levies fall outside the core system. The database includes topics on flood fighting, design, construction, operation, maintenance, repair, and inspection related to levies. Because the location and characteristics of levy systems can be viewed on a map with real-time data from other sources, such as stream gauges and weather radar, it is a useful tool for a variety of public agencies and individuals, including floodplain managers, emergency management agencies, levy system sponsors, and citizens who live or work behind a levy. The database is available at levies.sec.usace.army.mil. That is today's resource tip. As we mentioned at the top of the show, hurricane season is winding down, but the fall and winter months can bring new and different type threats to the region. Joining us now by phone is Mario Valverde, meteorologist in charge with the National Weather Service Shreveport office. How are you today? I'm doing outstanding. All right, talk to us about some of the weather factors uh, we could face during this time of year. Well, living in Louisiana, we, you know, we are blessed by having a very diverse amount of weather to deal with. And in the fall and winter time, we're in a transition, again, just like in spring. So we can get everything. We can have tornadoes. We can have large hail, strong severe thunderstorms. And then we can have our winter precipitation uh, from snow and ice to really cold temperatures and wind. So, you know, this is the time of year that we can get a little bit of everything and mess things up for us. You know, I know the Shreveport area and that I-20 corridor, uh, I went to school up there for a few years, and I know you kind of deal with some of those snow and ice issues a lot more, but we have seen uh, the rest of the state impacted by these events in recent years. Do you think that's kind of a trend that will continue? Is there any way to kind of long-term forecast that type of uh, problem? Well, I, you know, I mean, the, the state record, I think, for snowfall is in south Louisiana and rains like 12 or 13 inches of snow. 
So, you know, the host state can be impacted by this, uh, you know, but the further north you go, the more likely you are to experience the winter type of precipitation and stuff. Uh, but, you know, again, it just depends on any given year. You know, we can have tornadoes. You know, our, our records for tornadoes go back to 1951. And, you know, the center of the state had uh, tornadoes in 1951. You know, this year we've had tornadoes up here in the wintertime. You know, when we're talking January and December. Uh, so, you know, we can get it all. And many people think, you know, oh, hurricane season is over. Maybe I can let my guard down a little bit. Is that kind of a dangerous approach for people in Louisiana to take? Yeah, most definitely. You know, hurricane season officially ends on the last day of November, November 30th. Okay. But that's typical hurricane season. We've seen storms start up. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, we had a storm in January. You know, it didn't do anything to us here, you know, but it was out there. So we can have storms develop late into the year, even into December, you know, and, uh, you know, again, in January. Hopefully they won't impact us, but we can't never let our guard down with tropical weather in Louisiana. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, flooding is the number one issue uh, and the number one threat in Louisiana, not hurricanes. Uh, what are some of the unique issues you deal with in North Louisiana in regards to flooding? Well, I think it's really across the whole state. You know, we are a very low area here. We have lots of bayous and, you know, swamps and everything out there. And, you know, if you live near body water, again, with those summertime thunderstorms or even the wintertime thunderstorms, you know, we're seeing, you know, four or five inches of rain. And depending on where that falls, you can get a couple of feet of rise across a road very quickly. So, you know, it, it's not any one particular area here uh, because we're very moist in the area. I mean, you know, I think Shreveport's, you know, a couple hundred feet in altitude from the ground. You know, Monroe's like 50 feet. So there's, you know, the slope to the land. The water moves off really fast and accumulates in those low-lying areas. And people need to be very aware about where they live in relation to the drainage because it can impact them really quick just from a regular thunderstorm. As far as people staying uh, aware of the forecast and aware of some of the uh, watches and warnings and things that may be going out, uh, what are some of the, I know we share a lot of information from you guys from time to time, but what resources are available for the public to help them uh, make sure they stay informed? Well, in today's age and everything like that, you know, everybody should have a cell phone or, you know, like that. And have an app that you're familiar with on how to get weather information. You know, when we issue tornado warnings, if you are in the warning, your phone should go off and say that there's a tornado warning out there. No weather radio is another great source for your home. You know, that will wake you up in the middle of the night and make a god-awful sound like a smoke alarm. Uh, you know, and just your regular TV and broadcast. You know, if you are into social media, you can sign up for alerts, watch web pages, you know, learn about that stuff now what's going to work best for you so you know how to use it when you need to. Because when we start issuing tornado warnings, that's not the time to go look for an app to find out if I'm in the warning. Absolutely. Always best to prepare uh, anytime you have blue sky days, as we say in emergency management. Uh, anything else you'd like to add to the public as we wrap up? You know, right now is the time, you know, and like I said, blue sky days, make a plan for those events that are coming up. You know, if I live out in the middle of the country and I might lose power once or twice, Make sure I've got a way to stay warm in the wintertime. You know, make your plan now when there's nothing going on and get the resources that you need together so that you can sustain yourself for a couple of days because, you know, it may happen, it may not happen, just like a hurricane. We could get a major ice storm across the state and nothing is going to move for a couple of days. Power lines are going to go down. Just like if we got impacted by a hurricane, you know, we're going to lose power. Things are going to be there and you need to be able to survive by yourself for several days before help can get to you. 
That is such great advice. And, you know, a lot of times in, in, in many cases, if um, someone has maybe a loved one with a health issue and maybe they have special needs or maybe they have pets and they're worried about evacuating, uh, you know, along with their pets, check with your parishes now and your local officials to see what programs they have available. A lot of times there's a registration process where you can uh, – get notified if if certain things start happening. So great advice. Sir, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Quite right. Glad to do it. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank Annette Marie German with the Provisions Project and Mario Valverde with the National Weather Service Report for the information they provided today. We also want to thank the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency for your use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at donatelifela.org. For more information on the topics we talked about today, go to getagameplan.org and don't forget to follow GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, get a game plan. We'll talk to you again in December. This podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.